So when the time comes, you're going to know what to do. You just have to agree to do it, okay? Are you ready? Round and round the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel, the monkey stopped to pull up his socks. Yeah. For 300 years, people have known the truth about the weasel. He popped. We may have no idea what it means for the weasel to pop. All we know is that the weasel popped. All because of a song. We seem to remember or internalize songs in ways that we don't remember or internalize other forms of communication. Truth contained in song seems to be more readily available up here in our files, sometimes even than scripture, unless, of course, we learn that scripture through song, right? That's the power of the song. And God has wired us to respond to song. We really can't help ourselves, even if you wanted to stop. Even if you said, I'm not going to do it, as soon as I say, the monkey stopped to pull up his socks, your mind is going to say, pop goes the weasel. Just as you can't make your mind stop singing or your voice singing, how great thou art after I have sung, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Yeah. You can't help it, can you? You cannot help it. So it's no wonder that Paul gives this command to the church, the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the internalization of the word of God. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we have before us this morning, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, a song. It's a song that God commanded Moses to write. So understanding the power of song, we have to recognize this as a great blessing from the Lord. Through this song, God engages the minds of his people. He engages the emotions and the imaginations of his people so that they will internalize his truth and live really well in the land that he's about to give to them. And so it is for you and me here this morning. We have to be people who engage God's truth with all of our beings, not only with our minds, but with our hearts and our emotions as well, so that we internalize his truth, so that we live well in this land in which God has placed us. It's my prayer for us this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let me just confess, it was my full intention to cover this entire song in one Sunday. But you know the rest of that story, don't you? I didn't get past verse two. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you will turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, and when you've found your place, I'm gonna ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Actually, we'll begin in verse 30 of chapter 31. This is the word of the Lord. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. 
Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, and as the words spoken and sung by Moses so many years ago, may your words fall with refreshment upon us this morning like dew and like rain. Father, we pray that through the power of your spirit, we would engage with our whole being uh, in the reality of you and your truth that you have before us this morning. Father, only you can make that possible through the power of your spirit. So we submit ourselves now to you, to, to your spirit, to the truth of your word. Transform us, we pray, more into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Needless to say, because this is the word of the Lord, it is full of life-giving, life-transforming, life-altering truth, either by direct statement or by implication. So let's begin this week looking at what some of that truth is. I'm going to start with verse 1. So if you look there again, Moses says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Listen, heaven, hear, earth. What is not encompassed either by the heavens above or the earth beneath? Nothing. Heaven and earth are everything. Nothing is outside of them except for God himself. And so from the very first sounding of the first note of this song, Moses' song is a wide open, I'm not holding anything back, I don't care who hears it kind of song. Listen, heaven, hear, O earth. I want all to hear this. I want the unchanging reality of heaven and earth to bear witness to this. I am unashamed about what I will proclaim. Much of what follows in this song, it isn't easy truth for the Israelites to hear, but it is God's truth for them nevertheless. And so here's Moses before the people. No repression here, no fear, no shame about the truth of God's word. That's not always true for you and for me, is it? I'm reminded of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden before sin. Scripture says of them that they were naked and felt no shame. We're a little uncomfortable thinking about that. We definitely don't want to picture it. And given some of the delicate topics that we've addressed in this book of Deuteronomy, and if you've been here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You might be a little nervous right now. Where's Craig going to go with this naked and unashamed business? Some people right now are, are questioning the appropriateness of this from the pulpit. You know why? Because we are not wide open people. We are people who feel shame and guilt and fear. We are repressed. We do hold things close to our chest. If people saw me this way, physically, 
or emotionally or spiritually. I'm afraid what they would think. I'm afraid of the judgment that they might make about me. This is Moses, wide open. This is Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed. And this is us, fearful and repressed. We can't begin to imagine being naked and unashamed, but Adam and Eve were. We fear being wide open, but Moses didn't. You know why? Because there is such freedom for us in the truth of God's word. There is such freedom for us in the truth of God's word. And that's why God's truth belongs out in the open. Listen, O heavens, hear, O earth. God's truth belongs out in the open for everyone, everywhere. Moses is bold with it. But as I said, often we are not. We often withhold what we think. And sometimes that's good timing and for good and appropriate reasons. But often it's for self-protection. If other people knew what I really believed, that would end a relationship. Other times it's out of shame because, well, frankly, we think God should have asked us before he said some of the things that he said. Then we could have clued God in on our culture, right? God, let me explain our culture to you. This will fly. This will not fly. Lord, it just isn't right. Truly, Lord, it isn't right for you to say that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to get to you. Lord, there are so many other religions in the world. Lord, this is what you don't understand. When I say that, it makes me appear arrogant. When I say that, I look intolerant and, and, and I drive people away. Lord, who are we to say that our way and our religion is the only way? We think that. I know we do. And when we think those things, we are not wide open. We are not naked and unashamed. We're full of fear and shame over God's truth. And it will be to our detriment. And most certainly it will be to the eternal detriment of those from whom we keep this truth. The truth of God is not for us to hide. And if you are embarrassed by God's truth, and some of the truth here in this book, it's not easy truth, is it? It's difficult truth. It's probably because you've believed the lie that there is an alternative truth. We think that way. Well, there's God's truth. That's for y'all. But then there is this other truth. It's a lie. If it's truth, it's from the Lord. But we choose the alternative truth because it's easier. It's more convenient just to believe this. We win a lot more friends and we keep a lot more friends if we go with this alternative truth. I'm not trying to create monsters out of us. Of course, we have to be sensitive to the application and even, even the pronouncement of God's truth. We have to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us so that we speak God's truth with love and grace and compassion. Nevertheless, God's truth is to be wide open heaven and earth truth. And when we look now in verse 2, we'll see why God's truth must be wide open. 
why it isn't an option for us to be fearful and and repressed with the truth of God. Look in verse 2. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like shower on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Water on plants equals life. Plants without water equals what? Death. That's what the words of God are. They are life. Keep looking down at verse 47. They are not just idle words for you, the words of this song. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now I know that you know, most of you, yes, that is true. But will just knowing that God's words are life cause you to be wide open, naked, and unashamed with God's truth? Does God want more for, uh, from us than just knowing the truth? He does. Just as last week, we looked at the structure of chapter 31 of Deuteronomy to, to, to reveal that God wants more for us than simply knowing his truth. And so Moses constructed chapter 31. If you were here, you remember in that chiastic structure because God wanted his people to order all the elements that he had given them to live a successful life, a blessed life in the promised land in the right way. God wanted his people to hit the very center of the X that marked the spot. And so he used the structure of chapter 31 to ensure that people would find that place. Well, this morning, here we are in chapter 32. And once again, God uses structure to communicate truth to his people. This time, the structure is a song. It's poetry. Now, you got to follow along again like you did last week. For the Hebrew poet, the bread and butter of their trade was parallelism. The bread and butter for our poet is rhyme, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. You are my honey and I love you, right? We have to rhyme everything or we think it's not real poetry. The Hebrew poets weren't concerned with that. Hebrew poets used parallelism. And parallelism is two lines of equal length and equal number of syllables. Specifically, here in verse 2, Moses is using synonymous parallelism, which means that both lines of, of the same length and the same number of syllables make the same point. He writes here in verse 2, let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew. So what's parallel? Teaching and words are parallel. Rain and dew are parallel. Now look at the second part of verse 2. Like shower on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. And so shower and abundant rain are parallel. And new grass and tender plants are parallel. Parallelism is what makes poetry memorable and emotional. So if you want to get the facts out, you write prose, right? Prose just gets the facts out. Factual statements such as, Two plus two equals four. And so prose reaches the mind, but poetry is different. This is what a poet might do. He might draw a number two, 
put some eyes on it, arms, legs, cute little blue hat, blue boots. Then he might draw a, a, a second number two and put a little yellow hat on that two and little, little yellow boots on that two. And then he might have the, the blue two and the yellow two join hands, right? And together they make a, a four with a yellow hat and yellow boots because when a two joins a two, they make a four. And when blue joins green, it makes what? Yellow. It's the same truth, isn't it? Two plus two equals four. But when the poet says it, we go, oh, isn't that sweet? Look at those two cute twos. They came together. They made a four, you know. And so our emotions are involved, right? Because there's a story. Poetry seeks to stir the emotions. So poems use parallelism that have, you know, vivid imagery and metaphors and similes and personification and all those things that you learned about in English class, all to engage our senses so that we feel the truth. Look again at verse 2. How skillful Moses is in engaging the emotions with imagery. God's words are literally just that. They are groupings of letters, but not to the poet, not to the songwriter. Words become like rain and dew and showers. And so when you are seeking to engage the emotions of people who for 40 years have been in the desert, people who have felt real thirst, people whose goal many days was just to find enough water, people who on many occasions saw that they would perish in the desert because there was no water for them to drink, to engage the emotions of those people, then you talk about God's truth like rain and dew and showers. And then those people feel refreshment. They feel the dust and the dirt being washed away. They feel their thirst being quenched by the word of God. When you want to engage the emotions of people who have looked across a barren, desolate desert, they've been part of it for 40 years a dry wasteland, then you talk about grass, new grass, not the scorched kind we get here in August. New, new grass and tender plants, the kind of life that they long to see, the kind of life they long to experience. And so poetry leads people right to the truth that the word of God is life. And that's why you and I have to be wide open with it because God's word gives life. God knows we need this emotional connection to his word. Because you and I are more than just intellectual beings. We are emotional people. We are sensory beings. We're artistic beings. Because we are made in the image of God who created the heavens and the earth with all of their, their wonder and color and variety and contrast, all of it, God created. And so God wants us engaged with his truth, with our minds and our hearts and our emotions and our senses. That's what God sought to do with the tabernacle that he commanded Moses to build. I want to read to you from Exodus 31. It's what the Lord tells Moses to do. 
The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cast and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of the meeting, the ark of the covenant with the atonement cover, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest. Uh, the priest and the garments for his son when they serve as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them just as I commanded you. God gave these people his spirit to create this beauty and he intended to, for them to pass it on. He says in, in Exodus 35, 34, God says, I have given both Bezalel and Aholiab the ability to teach others. And so God wanted this craftsmanship passed on from person to person. He gives Moses the recipe for the oil. Oh, it smells so good. Myrrh, cinnamon, cane, cassia, olive oil. God calls it a blend, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer, an artist. He says the same thing about the incense that's to be burned. I'm not even going to begin to describe the priestly garments and the rich fabric from which they were made, the colors contained in them, the jewels that were sewn into them. The point is this, that when the people saw the beauty of all that God had created through them, the things that represented him, they would have an emotional response. Look at the beauty of this place. Smell the anointing oil. Smell the incense. Taste. Taste the sacrificial meal that's part of this. Listen. Listen to that choir sing. Listen to the flute. Listen to the lyre. Listen even to the tambourine. Listen to the beauty of all that God has created. The reality is that God is engaging the senses of his people. Knowing that there will be an emotional response. So what does that say? about how God has created us, how he has wired us. What does it say about how God reaches us with his truth? Now, not all of us here this morning, but many of us here this morning are Reformed Presbyterians. And we are the offspring of a very plain tradition. Some Reformers at the time of the Reformation stripped the church of all beauty. Stained glass windows, gone. Beautiful architecture, denigrated. Plain churches without ornamentation, replace them. Pews, you think you got it bad here? (laughs) You don't know anything. Pews were benches with no backs to them. Pastors wore black robes. No pictorial representations were allowed. No paintings or representations of Jesus Showing love, compassion, even holy anger. No place for it. The only place for gifted musicians was in the congregation. 
From there, the choir helped other people sing during the worship service, but no allowance was made for them to form a choir where they, with their unique gift given to them by the Lord, could sing for the people and and have an emotional response from the people as they heard the melodies and the harmonies of the choir. So we became a people of the mind and people of reason. And that's good. And that's a huge part of our faith because our faith is built on truth, right? Prose truth. Here are the facts, the good news of the gospel. God himself extends this invitation. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. We need to be reasonable people. It's a good, it's a right thing. Please hear me saying that. Don't send me the charismatic church. Woo! But logic can be dry as dust. And as important as the mind and learning is, it can also become an idol and a source of great pride. And as sincere as the belief was and continues to be that if you reach the mind, you've done everything, everything else will follow. People firmly believe that. Yet, in spite of that, what epithet did Presbyterians end up with? What do they call us? You know, the frozen chosen. Here's what I know before I get reported to General Assembly. (laughs) Oh, you think I'm kidding. Here's what I know. I know that Jesus Christ fills everything in every way. Do you know that? Yeah, Scripture says so. I know that the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Do you believe that? Yeah, Scripture says so. I know that Christ is the fulfillment of everything symbolized in that tabernacle. I know that in Christ, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Scripture says so. I know that we look to Christ for all things, that we find our satisfaction in him that we can find in no other place or no other person. I know that Jesus Christ should always be the very center of our focus. Do you hear me saying that I know all of those things to be true? But how do we achieve that focus on Christ? Not only with our minds, but also through poetry and songs and the beauty that God has gifted us to create. No, I cannot find a command where Jesus says, Thou shalt be an artist. Thou shalt write poetry. I can't find it. But you know what? I can read the poetry that God wrote to us. I can't find a command of Jesus that we are to paint or to to decorate, but I can see how the Lord has decorated the world to engage all of our senses and for us to enjoy. I think the reality is God is not going to let us off the hook simply with what we believe about him. God writes songs and poetry for us so that we feel something about his truth as well. Ah, rain, dew, the showers of God's word. I feel clean. I feel rejuvenated. I feel alive again because of the truth that God tells me in his word. The psalmist, the songwriter who wrote Psalm 119, had feelings about the word of God. He writes, I will delight in your statutes. 
He writes, I reach out. I reach out for your commands, which I love. Give them to me that I may meditate on them. Oh, how I love your law. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. How about this one? I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Poetic language, emotional language. A person hungry, longing to be fed, opening their mouth to receive the word of the Lord. Lord, your word is food to my soul. I love to be fed by it. You and I are to feel when it comes to God's word. And so what does he do? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Jesus, the word of God made flesh. Not the word of God on paper. Not the word of God in the mind. The word made flesh, living, breathing, speaking, loving, caring, serving, hungering, thirsting, crying, praying, relating. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus too engaged the emotions. Look, look at the birds of the air. Look, observe well the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. Solomon Arrayed in all his glory is not as beautiful as the lilies of the field. And so every time you pass a lily, you remember the truth that Jesus was teaching. The Lord knows my needs. The Lord will provide for our needs. All because you saw a lily. It's an emotion that Jesus is after. Trust in the Lord. He knows your needs. How about this one? This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. Eat, drink, taste, touch. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the gospel not with words, but with eating and drinking. Not just our minds, but our emotions as well. God wants our minds. Engaged. He wants our emotions engaged as well. And so you say of this emotional response, ah, that doesn't describe me. I'm not an emotional person. Well, why doesn't it describe you? Honestly, you have to answer that question if this is kind of like, what, what are you talking about? Because I know you have feelings. I know there are things that you get excited about. I know there are things that you get passionate about. This is not a matter of being smart or dumb. And it's certainly not a matter of being masculine or feminine. Some of you men here might be really masculine. Macho, macho man. But you know what? I don't mean to offend you. But I think you would have a hard time out machoing King David. Right? Strong, strong man, exceptionally brave, mighty in battle, 
The song written about him, well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. He was also very handsome. And so you might say David had it all. A man's man. He would be our envy. And yet David was a poet and a songwriter and a musician. And listen to what he writes in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing my soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the honeycomb. We would be here a lot longer than any of you want to be here if we read all of the Psalms of David that describe the deep emotion that he had for the word of God and for the Lord himself. It's emotion, not for the sake of emotion, not manipulated emotion like movie directors are so good at doing to get us to cry, you know, at just the right place. But emotion that comes when you and I are at last overwhelmed by the glory and the greatness and the goodness and the grace of the Lord. Emotion based on the truth of who God is. I'll finish with this. I used to read a book to my children entitled, Let's Grow a Garden. Let's grow a garden full of good and tasty vegetables. We start by getting little packets of seeds and tiny leafy seedlings all ready to plant. Then we put them in the earth and knead and tidy rose and there it is our garden so far so good y'all know I'm from the country we had great big old gardens I'm all about it but then there came a cringe moment for me in this particular story every time I came to this page and this part of the story and when the rain forgets to come down who cares exclamation point we'll just make our own Exclamation point. And the accompanying picture showed the children watering the garden with a hose. Now, of course, (laughs) being an evangelical father, though not yet a pastor, I couldn't let it go, right? (laughs) I had to comment, my poor children. The Lord may show me all the times they rolled their eyes or thought, Dad, can you just get on with the story? I couldn't let it go. I would say something like, Kate, Brooke, Adam, Claire, Anna, we wouldn't say who cares, would we? No, we would pray and ask Jesus to send water, wouldn't we? They're here. Am I lying? I am not lying. It's the exclamation point that got me. You know, the who cares, the we'll make our own, the independence of it. I thought, you know what, you little brats? If the Lord withholds water long enough, we'll see how much water you get out of that hose. (laughs) God's word is life. His truth is life. And you and I are helpless to manufacture it on our own. It has to come with him, from him, 
Without him, there is no rain, no dew, no new grass or tender plant. He is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what do you think about the Lord? What do you feel about him? Do you want to feel? This might determine how wide open and unashamed you will be of him and of his truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, few are in this room who would not say what we believe. We believe that your word is truth. Your word points us to life through Christ. We know that to be true, and rarely, if ever, would we deny that. We know it to be true. And yet, Lord, sometimes, even if we laugh about it, we feel a little bit like frozen people. Your word doesn't seem to penetrate our hearts. We don't get emotional about you. We don't get emotional about your word or your truth, and so we're not wide open with it. We're not naked and unashamed with your truth. So, Father, we can't manufacture this on our own, but we know that you have given us your spirit because you tell us that you have, and also, Lord, because we feel your presence. So, Father, I just ask that you would make us people who not only know about you, but feel about you as well. To be desperate for the life that we can find only in you. The truth of your word. Father, as you make us emotional about it, we know we will be bold to tell others. Because we will want the same life for them. We'll want the same feelings for people who don't know you. So Father, we just submit ourselves to you now again and to the work of your spirit in us. You know what you need to do in us and through us. So we ask that you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.